Welcome to Business Rescue 101, hosted by business coach Jeff Miles and guest Grant Thorpe. So let's get on and ask some questions at the interview stage. So what I'd like to cover is 10 to 15 questions that you could ask at an interview. Have you ever heard of this thing called open-ended questions? Yeah, I have. Well, that was just the answer to a closed question. When somebody turns and says, hi, how are you? And you just give the short potted answer. How many times have you ever heard that in an interview that you may have been asked back in the days when you were with Mars, if you were asked by someone, are you good at your job? The answer could be yes. And that tells the interviewer absolutely nothing. So what I'd like to cover with you is some questions that an employer could ask almost any particular employee. Obviously, the person listening to the CD needs to change it to suit themselves. So here's the first one. What are some of the most difficult and challenging decisions that you've had to make recently, and how did you go about making that decision? Why do you think you'd want to ask that? Jeff, I think you'd ask that question to really discover a couple of key things. Firstly, you want to see whether the person you're interviewing is going to be honest with you and tell you some of their strengths and weaknesses, because that's clear in that question. And then you're looking for the process. It's not whether it was a difficult decision or not. It's what did they do about it? Did they make a decision to take some action? What process did they go through to fix that problem? And, And I guess that's what we're looking for. We're looking for a little bit of process there. You're exactly right. So here's another question you could ask at an interview for an employee that you're thinking about employing and you're trying to get them to talk. So here's the question. What have you done in the past year to remain knowledgeable about your career? Why do you think you'd ask that? Well, you want to know whether people have got a wage job mentality or they've got a career mentality. And a career mentality is someone who's, you know, they see it as a journey. They're looking for constant improvement. They're investing in themselves. They're putting in some extra time and outside of work to improve and to be better for themselves, but also for you as the employer. Now, some of the answers that I've heard, because I've owned a recruitment agency, one of my companies that we've owned before, is you ask an employee what level of training they've done. And they might turn around and say, I've done some training courses six months ago. Then you might take a corollary to that question and say, and who paid for that? And it's interesting that they turn and say, well, my boss, of course. And it's just that little answer at the end, the of course, and you you ask yourself a question, well, do you pay for any of your own self-education? Or are you just going to have to be led by the nose all the time? Are you investing in yourself? You know, that investment could be as simple as buying a CD like you're listening to today, or it could have been a correspondence course, or even as simple as reading a book. All that counts, but do they recognize that as self-improvement, and are they able to communicate that to you? They don't have to have spent $5,000 on a weekend retreat, you know, and gone away or done an MBA, that we're looking for a consistent approach that could be basically totally inexpensive. And it's designed to be self-improvement. Something that's going to make them more employable. Exactly. So let's look at some more questions. Who are your competitors and why? So somebody might be working for an employer, and naturally all employers have got competitors. Well, you want to ask the employee, whether they be a truck driver, an office worker, someone working in administration, somebody working out in the factory, somebody who's in management, somebody who's in sales. Who are your competitors and why? 
And the thing I like about that is we're really discovering whether they have, you know, that cubicle mentality. They go to work, they sit in their cubicle and do their thing, or do they have some spatial awareness? Are they really aware of what they do and how that competes in the marketplace? What is their role in that process again? And what are they really up for? And whether they're just aware of the whole gambit of business. Do they know who the competitors are and why they're the competitors? Absolutely, you're dead right. But seldom, a lot of employees have this mentality that they just go to work and they close down and they just do their job. If you are looking for A-grade employees, if you want the best of the best, you need to have people that are looking around and are aware of the competition. And if they're aware of the competition, they can take little actions in their job that could really make a difference in the marketplace. They might come up with the idea of the century that literally can transform your business. And an A-grade employee will do that. Then we can ask a follow-up question to that one. How have you copied, created, or applied best practices? Now, several years ago, we first met going into flying into San Francisco, where you and I were both going to the NAR, the National Association of Realtors Conference in San Francisco. We were both going there independently so we could better ourselves to stay ahead of our competition. And what you're looking for is what is the employee doing that you're interviewing, what have they done recently about best practice? And have they come from a culture of best practice? Is their previous employer worked in that environment and is that what they're used to? Or have they just gone to work to have an out-of-home experience? Think back to the day when you were working as an employee for Mars, a large multinational confectionery company. What were some of the things that they did for best practice? Well, one of the things I enjoyed about working for that company, and that is one of the biggest privately owned companies in the world, and you know, way back, like 60, 70 years ago, they created a culture in their business around five key principles, called the Five Principles of Mars. The acronym for it was Queen Reads Magazines Every Friday. So it was Q for quality, so everything had to be the best quality product, no compromise on that in any way. R was for responsibility. So it was, you know, you took total responsibility for your own budget. You were totally accountable for what you did and you empowered other people with responsibility. M was for mutuality. Everything you did had to be mutually beneficial to people internally and externally. If you went out to do a deal, for instance, and it wasn't mutually beneficial to both parties, then you needed to back off from that. E was for efficiency. So everything had to be the most efficient, time efficient, process efficient, factory efficient, manufacturing efficient. Everything had to be efficient because that gives you the chance to speed up that process and repeat a dollar productive activity again, and that's where profit comes from. And F was for freedom, and we mentioned right at the beginning of the CD that profit equals freedom, and that was Ma's definite cultural saying, was that to remain free, we need to make a profit, and everyone understood that. It wasn't evil. And so many business owners hide the concept of profit from their staff. They hide the idea that they're profitable because they have a wage mentality. They don't want to be seen to be the person that's taking all the money and of course you know there's all sorts of issues with wage mentality and so instead of embracing the profit and the whole team recognizing that and then allowing some of that to be reinvested in the business they shy away from that and that in itself is a poor boy mentality. Another question Grant that would open it up for the applicant to start talking would be to ask them what would you plan to do in your first few weeks of joining our company? I love that question, Jeff, because it really says to me, you know, have they done the research on the job and the business that they've applied for here? You know, do they understand what we're about and are they able to get their teeth into this quickly? You know, do they really know what they're in for? Or are they just going to sit there, shrug the shoulders and go, I don't know. 
Exactly. Why would you want to take on someone who doesn't know what they're going to do in the company? Why would you want to take on a person who's got a loser mentality? Let them go and work for your competitors. If they don't have fresh, genuine ideas about what they can contribute to your company, why would you want to employ them? I think you've made a good point here, Jeff, not just in those questions, but you know, if you start to get some of these negative answers, you could just about shut down the interview process at that point because why spend another half an hour just going through the motions? You might as well move on to the next applicant. You're looking for the attitude of the person that they're displaying when they're applying for a job because the interviewing process is the best they're ever going to look. They are on their best behaviour because they're trying to impress you. And if they can't tell you what they're going to be doing for your company or for your firm within the first couple of weeks of starting, why would you want to employ them? Jeff, I remember years ago going into a BMW dealership and there was this beautiful six series black coupe and I went up to the guy and said, that is stunning. He said, have a good look at it because when it leaves the showroom, it will never look as good again. That's exactly right. And that's the same way that employees will be once they start working for you. Naturally, the barriers come down, which is what you want. But you want the employees that are applying for a job to have fresh, innovative ideas. And by asking that question, what would you do in the first couple of weeks? You get to hear their viewpoint. When you're interviewing a person for a position, one of the questions I always love to ask is, do you believe in asking for forgiveness or asking for permission? I love that too. Jeff, that's such a classic question. And, you know, I think it's actually one of the greatest disabilities of anybody in any work environment is their procrastination and indecision. You know, one thing I learned when I was in the military and I left school, you know, I was very young and I joined the Air Force. And one of the things I learned on officer training, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it to this day. It was always be seen to make a decision. And if it's wrong, make another one. But if you're indecisive, you know, and that's what sometimes what happens is people, they can't make a decision. They're constantly asking for permission. And then have you really got a standalone, independent, proactive employee or do you have a very expensive personal assistant? But if someone's going to ask for forgiveness after, 99% of the time they will make the right decision. And that comes back to that responsibility issue I talked about a minute ago with Mars, is that you empower people with responsibility and you give them enough rope to climb a mountain or hang themselves. And I just love that. And that's the sort of person you're looking for. You should be hiring someone who's better than you, that's a little bit scary, that's going to make some decisions based on their knowledge and what is best for the company and for your business at the time, but not too scared, to, you know, and certainly to the point where they're sitting around and being inactive. And you want them to also have that attitude that if they do make the wrong decision, are they contrite? Do they show some contrition about saying, oh, look, I really stuffed up there, but I'm sorry, what I learned from that is this, 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 and this, so that you know that they're not stupidly making dumb mistakes. They're actually trying to forward the business and trying to take advantage of an opportunity, but they just goofed up. Yeah, they're testing their boundaries. One of the things I've always said to my employees is this, I'll never be upset for you making the decision and getting it wrong. But I'll be really upset if you don't make a decision, you're constantly coming to me for the answers because, once again, you're a flash PA. And part of that making a decision and getting it wrong is usually those lessons, they can be expensive, but they only happen once. If it happens twice, you've got a problem. But generally, each employee has to learn. You know, we all learn to ride a bike by falling off and skinning our knees, and you can't expect an employee to come in and not learn from some mistakes. That's part of the cost of business. That's part of training. I mean, you could send someone on a $5,000 course, or you could let them make a $5,000 mistake. It's much the same you know, exercise. In fact, making the mistake is probably a more solid grounding. I think the employee would learn a lot more if they made the mistake but also some employers 
are at fault as well when they castigate or chastise an employee who's made an obvious innocent mistake and they turn around and they unfairly have a go at them. Now that is not appropriate. Otherwise, how are you going to get that person to step over the boundaries, to be a little bit innovative? What I'd like to do now, if I may, just to save some time, is go through a pile of questions which the person listening to this can stop and just write down the question and then apply it to their circumstance. Would that be okay? That's a great idea. Let's go. So one of the questions would be for a salesperson. You would ask them to describe a circumstance where they've negotiated the best deal. So describe a circumstance where you've negotiated the best deal. And that best deal, what I'd be looking to hear, is not only was it the best deal for their business, but it was also a best deal for the customer, so there was some mutuality in it. If you're looking for a salesperson or a manager, you might ask the question of, how did you sell an idea, either to the troops, to the people below you, or to management, or to even a customer. So how do you sell an idea? So what you're trying to do is to get the employee or the applicant for the job is to start communicating to you what their logic path was, why they asked the person who was buying from them certain questions to position that person towards making an ultimate commitment. Another good question I like, Jeff, is to ask, in what specific ways have they changed their organisational structure in the last year or so? We're looking for someone who can manage change, who can see the need for some difference, need to progress, and the need to really set themselves up into a stronger position for the future. Are they being innovative? Are they challenging? Are they looking towards world's best practice? Are they looking towards their competition? These are the questions that you're just asking, like, why do you do what you do? Are you progressing? Yeah, and if they're great change managers, we want to know how their leadership skills are. Are they a natural leader? And can they give us some examples of their leadership? That's an excellent question. Outline to me some examples of where you've led in the face of stalwart thinking, where somebody is just, they don't want to change. So can you outline to me how you've made these decisions and decided to go down this pathway? What are your justifications? That's leadership. You want to find that out at the interview stage. The other thing that I like is this real question. I I have a real bias against people who tend to be a little bit wage mentality because that really sits you right in a box and it's quite stifling itself. But I love the question, how many hours per week have you worked on average in the past year? And it's a trick question really because if they think they're going to give you a big number, that's not necessarily a good thing. If someone says 70, 80 hours a week, I'm saying, hey, you're inefficient. What the hell are you doing? Can't you delegate? There's a whole bunch of reasons that that's totally unacceptable. I mean, we're not in that culture of years gone by when seeing to work hard equals success you know it's not about how many hours we're not paying them an hourly rate either they could well be on a salary you know we're not talking about overtime here we're talking about working smart working clever and working efficient but you know if someone's working 20 to 30 hours a week what sort of process are they doing to do that how efficient is and ultimately how does that line up against the results they're getting because really we're looking for those results as well. Jeff, another question that is so often asked in an interview, and, and it's almost a cliche thing really, is, you know, tell me your strengths and weaknesses. Now, why do people ask that? You know, what sort of answers should they be giving? And then as the interviewer, what are we looking to gain out of that question? Depends on the role that the applicant is going through. If it's a salesperson, you might want to hear the answer that you're asking the person, what are some of your strengths and weaknesses? Well, some of the strengths I've got is that I'm a little bit end game focused. I'm looking for the result. Now, that's a great strength in a salesperson. And the flip side, what are some of your weaknesses could be that they say, well, 
I'm an end game result type person. I'm looking for the win in this situation. So the strength can also be a weakness. They're a doer talker, not necessarily complete a finisher. So they get to the end result, the little tornado of destruction left behind them. But as long as you recognise that and you have a support in for that, that can be very, very profitable. Yeah. So it's important to ask the question, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? Again, you want them to be an open-ended question and you want to be assessing, are they speaking the truth when they're answering that question? You know, you mentioned salespeople a few times so far, but, you know, in a business, a salesperson isn't just the sales rep on the road. It's the receptionist. It's the person in the parts department. Everybody sells. And one question I always like to hear or the answer answer to it is what's their level of core reluctance is the word you know can they step up to the mark can they ask for the order can they ask to help someone in a different part of the business can they offer an added service and if that comes from any one of those roles in your business your business can have a massive gain across the board because everyone is able to sell one area of biggest salespersonship would be where the accounts department so the guy or the girl in the accounts department has to ring up and ask for money That's an awfully challenging process that you have to go through, but it is a process. You've got to be sending out a letter and following the person up and saying, hi, my name's Mary or George from XYZ Company, and I'm just following up to find out when are you going to pay that account? That's a tremendously challenging question, and that's what you want to know, that the person who's sitting in front of you, perhaps applying for a bookkeeping job or accounting job or administration job, do they have that ability to communicate? Are they scared to get on the phone? Are they good communicators or poor communicators? We've got time for one last question, Jeff, so hit me with a big one. Grant, one of the final questions that I'd suggest would want to be asked by any employer to an applicant is describe for me a complex situation where you learnt a lot couple of key words in there, complex. So we're looking for something with a bit of detail and we want to see that they've got some grunt in that process and, you know, they really got involved in the job. And then we're looking for the learn. We're looking for the lesson. And did they gather that? Were they aware of that? And then can they explain that? Because often that lesson is really, to some extent, at the beginning, acknowledgement of a weakness, it becomes acknowledgement of a strength. Thanks for listening to the Business Rescue 101 podcast. For more useful business tips and strategies, visit thebusinessdoctor.com.au.